0: Welcome back to this new episode. Yes, we're back. Today is July 9th, 2020. And I genuinely wanted to thank all of you who listened to episode one. It's very scary to launch or even relaunch uh, something new. So, and especially after being gone for as long as I had, it meant a lot, the world to me actually, um, that many of you didn't miss a beat and took a listen. And all of that gave me a much needed boost of confidence. So we're here and we're here to stay. Thank you so much for listening. I, I can't say that enough. Now, today is an interview episode. Um, I'll be doing that about twice a month, and this is the first interview episode of the season. I decided I wanted to talk to someone who I had talked to before and who I admire and who I felt I could really have a great conversation with. And so I spoke with my friend Patricia Wanjala of Trisha's Naturals, which is the largest online community of natural hair, definitely in Kenya, definitely in East Africa, and I might even say the whole continent. Uh, Trisha has really built a beautiful community. Um, If you're African and went natural in the last decade, you probably know Trisha's Naturals, uh, which since its launch over 10 years ago, has grown its Facebook group to over 169,000 members, and that's just the Facebook group alone. Its founder, my friend Trisha, is a mother, a journalist, a teacher, an herbalist, and as you will hear throughout the interview, she's a woman of very many talents, very, very many talents. So what can you expect in this episode? We are going to talk about how Trisha is expanding her brand to beauty products and even a festival. And one thing you will hear for sure is that she has put in 10,000 hours to get to this point. You will see the amount of work and expertise she has had to build over time to create what I think are pretty top-notch premium Beauty products for African women. I love it so, so much. Also, we might have a fun giveaway at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. Trisha is very generous. And then, also, Trisha is the first guest to try my new segment called I Know What I'm Doing, which is a play on uh, the name of the podcast, of course. And this segment is a chance for my guests to talk about something they're really, really good at. So I'm excited to. Jump into that this episode, and finally, before we start listening to my conversation with Trisha, I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to ask you to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. It could be Apple Podcasts, it could be Google Podcasts, it could be Spotify, even YouTube. I do not care. I would love it and appreciate it if you could subscribe to the podcast so that whenever a new episode drops, you will get a quick. Reminder of um, all the great stuff that I have coming your way in the next few months. So please subscribe. And on that note, here is the interview with Trisha. And of course, I'm so excited to have Trisha with me today. Trisha, welcome to my podcast.
1: Thank you, Paula. It's a privilege to be here with you.
0: So for those who are new and have never heard of you, which I think is a little strange, can you tell me a bit about uh, what is Trisha's Naturals?
1: <laughs> um, Trisha's Naturals is a beauty brand that serves um, African women in Kenya and in the diaspora. And we create hair and beauty products that help make natural hair easy.
0: I know that the brand first started off actually as a Facebook group. Can you talk to me a bit about that?
1: Yes, Trisha's Naturals began as a Facebook group. Back then I was working as a journalist and I landed a column with one of the major national newspapers and I pitched the idea of doing a column on natural hair. So this was about 10 years ago and you know, the internet was still quite new. There were very few bloggers. <laughs> Connectivity wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. And I decided that since I'm embarking on this journey of being going back to natural, there must be other women like me who are trying to figure it out. So I created a group where like-minded individuals could share information that's credible and um, that basically helps make this journey a little bit less mysterious (laughs) and less stressful. So the group grew um, into many subgroups and many brands and a lot just came out of it. Basically, it marked like the beginning of the natural hair revolution in Kenya. Mm. And as the years passed, we kept providing these women with support, with information, and their needs just grew where they also wanted products that they could trust. So that's been our
0: latest venture. Trisha, that was a decade ago. Can you imagine? And so you're not new to this. You've built your audience and you've built a community. Did you always have like an an eye for business? And if so, where did it come from?
1: I, I mean, I wish I was that kid who used to buy sweets in the kiosk and then go and mark them up in school and sell them for slightly more and make a profit. Uh, unfortunately, I was the kid who gave away everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did not always have an eye for business, not at all. Mm-hmm. I would say that I have been very adventurous and creative in trying to find work and mm-hmm. to create work. Mm-hmm. As you know, Kenya is a country where we have like 60% unemployment. Yep. So basically, we do have a mentality of being hustlers mm-hmm. where we always know how to look for work. So when I went to uni in the states, um, you know, I was an international student. I found a bit of work on campus, but I learned that I had to diversify to survive. So. You know, I did everything from working as a janitor at night, braiding people's hair. I worked as an intern at an ad agency. I did sign language interpreting, which I also learned, you know, on the job. I was an intern slash gallery assistant at a gallery for East African art. I worked as an interior design assistant. I, I did all kinds of things. So even though I didn't have a knack for business like entrepreneurship, I was always very creative in terms of looking for sources of income. With business, I had to just learn <laughs> yeah. on the job because my main passion when I started Fisher's Naturals was just to help these women who are struggling because the fact that they were struggling with their natural hair, it's a lot deeper than that. People of other genders or other ethnicities might have a hard time understanding just how much space an African woman's hair how much space her hair takes in her brain? Hmm. It, it just has so many layers psychologically, emotionally, socially, economically. Um, it, you know, it impacts her romantic relationship, her self esteem, her confidence, her performance. All of that kind of revolves around her relationship with her hair. Mm. So in my quest to provide these women with support on their journey back to natural, their journey away from some artificial, you know, Caucasian construct that is through chemicals or um, extensions that are worn in lieu of their own hair it was really a journey where i wanted to build up this woman and teach her to love herself teach her how to care for herself how to accept herself and how to thrive and view herself as ultimately beautiful whether or not she has a single hair Mm. on her head Mm. Um, and my passion for that is what led me to go into business because i realized if i'm providing information and emotional <laughs> support for these women and community for these women, I need to also be able to impact more of them, mm. just you know, outside of my community and to have that kind of impact, I needed to have an income. And mm. um, so that the whole idea of business, it was um, kind of like, Philanthropy, but you get paid for it so that you can do more and so that you can help others.
0: You said that your Facebook page was really the launch of the natural hair movement within Kenya and within East Africa. Can you speak about what it was like back then, natural hair, and how it's evolved to where it is today?
1: Back then, there wasn't any community. I was the first um, to start the community and Facebook, and the women who were at the the helm of that community, the pioneers, the trailblazers, they grew by leaps and bounds and ended up making such a mark on this world. They became the CEOs of the African beauty brands mm-hmm. and they became the first women to import shape butter from Ghana and whip it up in their kitchen and mm-hmm. create organic products. They became the first ones to start importing items like like a steamer you know a bonnet
0: yes
1: (laughs) some of them began sewing the bonnets and designing them and some went on to open natural hair salons they created a movement so watching that grow to the point where now almost everybody is natural and there are like hundreds of brands Mm -hmm. and hundreds of local bloggers That's been a real, real privilege. Some of the
0: biggest beauty brands that we know today casually grew out of a Trisha's Naturals meetup, or from the Facebook page, um, and it's so fascinating just the economics that has come out of Trisha's Naturals. Whether it's entrepreneurship, salons, products, import, export, influencers, <laughs> influencers, right? Yeah, uh, but yeah. can yeah, but can you actually speak to some of the the, the brands that have come out from the Trisha's Naturals community?
1: I believe our community is what provided that incubator or that catalyst Mm. for these individuals to go ahead and um, actualize their ideas. For example, we have a gentleman called Dennis Gladys. He became one of Kenya's top natural hairstylists. Mm. And he was a a generalist hairstylist. But when he discovered our group, he realized hey, there's a niche. These women need somebody who understands their hair. Most of them are tired of DIY. That's not their Mm -hmm. preferred mode of operation. And so he took it upon himself to find out in the group, how do you look after natural hair? What are people doing? And he actually received mentorship from one of our earliest Trisha's Naturals admins, a lady called Evie Dondi, who is based in California. Mm -hmm. She's um a social worker in the U.S., and she also has her own skincare brand, organic skincare brand, and that's called Urembo Asili, mm-hmm. which again sprung up after she had began sharing her wisdom in the group. And so Dennis now is one of the top hairstylists. The beauty salon Amadiva, the mm-hmm. first natural hair salon, a lot of its clients and the trends and even the photo shoots that the owner Maureen would take, she would find naturalistas on Trisha's Naturals and you know they would advertise their services on our platform and you know they were absolutely the first. And then Marini Naturals, Michelle mm-hmm. was so intrepid in being the first African natural hair brand. And she as a new naturalista joined Trisha's Naturals to get tips, to get advice. And whatever worked for her, she said, hey, I need to create my products so that I can share this with other women. Chef Naturals also, they started advertising on Trisha's Naturals way back. And that's where they um, made a mark with their launch and with their products. There's uh, honestly so many of them. And what validated the impact of the group is not just the indie local cottage manufacturing brands Mm -hmm. that since exploded and became regional international names like the ones I've mentioned, but also the international brands took notice of Trisha's Naturals. Right. So a few years ago, they started approaching us. We would have uh, people from Unilever, from Shea Moisture, from Vatica, which is uh, part of Namaste Brands, mm-hmm. one of India's third, I think it's India's third uh, FMCG brand. And they, they actually do their market research on Trisha's Naturals with regards to the trends for African women. Darling, which is under dredge group another huge indian smcg uh, company they do market research on our group mm. in fact one of these multinationals that i mentioned created an entire line of products to solve the problems that some of the women in our group kept bringing up wow. so it's it's really it's received a lot of recognition and it's provided a lot of information to help fuel this natural hair movement so that the brands are also better able to to cater to the needs of the naturalists on the ground.
0: This is why I'm so excited to actually talk about the Trisha's Naturals line that has come out. So before we get into that, I wanna ask, why move from content to now doing Product
1: Content was my comfort zone for a long time again because of my writer journalist background. But in the end, we had to pivot, we had to switch, because there is so much content now available on mm. the internet. It's very different from a decade ago when there were only, like, three blogs. Nowadays, there's, like, hundreds of thousands of natural hair blogs mm-hmm. and YouTubers. So I would say that field got a little saturated. But the gap was that since this natural hair movement is really a gravy train, brands were spying a need, a big niche in the market, and they were very keen. Not all brands are opportunistic, but generally, we are in business to make money. Right. So there, there was a lot of brands that would come out with products that promised, you know, this or that. And at the end of the day, the products were not very good mm. for women in in our community. It, it was more people just trying to profit. It's making somebody very rich. Mm. And I'm politically neutral, but I'll tell you, that person who is benefiting financially is not somebody who looks like the naturalista who yeah. is buying the product. Yeah. So there's some, there's some people sitting out there in Asia and in Europe and in the States, and they're profiting from this. My, my partner and I in um, Trisha's Naturals, we said, hey, you know what, <laughs> let's do this. Let's just try and make some products that actually work. Some yeah. products that actually provide a solution that works for these women. And you had asked earlier whether the idea was mine. Actually, yeah. it wasn't. Oh. Um, when I was working at a tech startup three, four years ago now, um, my older brother, called a meeting with myself and my Trisha's Naturals partner. And he's like, dude, you guys have this community. Even Facebook has recognized you guys. Um, why don't you create some products? And at first I thought, well, you know, there's so many products, you know, that's not really our thing. But he said, no, just do it. And don't just do one product, do a whole line. Mm-hmm. So the idea kept incubating. And I thought, but there are so many products. What niche would we be filling? Right. And as I did research, I learned that most of the products do not solve the basic problems that naturalistas have. That is where our products come in to fill that gap.
0: So your, your USP, your unique selling point is the products actually work.
1: Right, yes. If they are used correctly, you have to understand how to use them. And for that reason, we combine our products with a lot of education. Okay. We give a lot of consultation for the naturalistas and when we do partner with stylists, we have some salons who stock our products we make sure we educate them on how to use them and what kind of hair and all of those things because again misinformation often leads to the poor results that people have struggled with
0: right and educating is also an extra cost
1: absolutely it's okay. it's definitely an investment it's a sacrifice we be selling to them and I tell you, I have spent hours and hours on the phone with these customers. I even have a special WhatsApp group for them because (laughs) before they buy, they need to know and they need to understand. So they'll call you, even now on our website, they'll be people will be searching for a product and then they say, well, let me call customer service. So then our customer service colleague Mm. texts me and says, hey, this lady has a ton of questions about her hair. Can she call you? I say, sure. And I end up giving hair consultations for 20, 30, 45 minutes Mm. to these ladies. And some will buy the products, others will not, but it's just part of what we've been doing all these years on Trisha's Naturals and now we're doing it offline where Mm. we're providing education for the consumers
0: and the stylists. Um, so let's talk about the line. Can I just say I'm proud of you? Because Thank I knew you, you were I knew you were working on something, but when you see the full line, there's so much intentionality behind it. Can you tell me how many products you have and the range of products that you have?
1: I believe we have fourteen products right now. And mm-hmm. uh, those are fourteen SKUs and the range we have um body and skin care and then we have a sister locks range including a uh, multi-purpose moisturizer for all kinds of kinds of locks okay. and we have hair revival range for people with loose natural hair but a lot of the products also multitask so they work for relaxed hair and um, multicultural hair so we have some Caucasian clients and other curlies and even Asians who enjoy using our products. And lastly, we have one which the boys also like, which is our hairline restoration serum, which is specifically designed for hair loss and alopecia, like male pattern
0: baldness. All of these can be found on the Trisha's Naturals website, which I will share in the show notes. Like you said, Trisha, you came from a, a journalism background, right? But now you are moving into products. What did you do to begin learning about this space?
1: As far as um, cosmetic chemistry, formulation, I had... Have- zero background. But my skills, as you mentioned, as a of being a journalist, Paula, mm-hmm. they taught me how to quickly get information, mm-hmm. knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. I was able to learn very quickly, first of all, what my target audience needs, and then sit at the feet of the great formulators, the great um, industry moguls, the great salon owners, the great product brand owners. I was able to learn so much from them. I, I pick their brains. Unabashedly, I, I learned from them. And I also took courses as much as I could. In July 2018, I took a course for indie product manufacturers in Johannesburg, wow. run by a company called Croda, and they are a global raw materials manufacturer. So, mm-hmm. And again, because I am you know, a researcher, a journalist, we're not afraid to be in the front of the class asking the question. So I, I was not afraid to look stupid. Mm. I would attend and I would ask and I would get people's numbers, especially the technical scientists who are in the lab. And I'd like, look, we need, our consumers have this issue. They, they feel that the current products leave their skin feeling like this, but they need it to feel like that. What can we use that's not toxic? And some would tell me many times, they say, no, that's impossible. No, 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 that's impossible. I say, no, we must find a way. Actually, the big brands that target manufacturers on this side of the earth um, whether it's Africa or India, the big brands will be like, oh, let's just send them the cheap formulations. You know, let's mm. put in stuff like mineral oil because cost is always a consideration in mm. Africa. Mm-hmm. And we, I had this uh, from a lady, a Belgian technical support lady. She said, yeah, you know, the formulations that are designed for ethnic hair tend to have cheaper raw materials because of the budget of most of the consumers in Africa. And I, I, I just refused. I said, no, we must have Formulations that match EU quality, that match you know, Korean quality, because why should we just dump rubbish on our consumers here under the pretext that they can't afford? If yeah. it's something good, yes, there are those who are poor, that's not our demographic. With them, they're still trying to get their basic food, clothing and shelter. Mm. But the majority of our target audience is women like you and I. Mm-hmm. And when we want something good, we will save up and we will get it.
0: Yeah. And we are worthy of good product. I'm really glad you said this because you you sort of, in that story, you indicated the tenacity necessary to get what you need. And then also to also be able to be in the room and pick the brains of some of the industry greats, people don't just open the door for you. I assume these are relationships you have built over time.
1: I do realize that part of it, the rooms that I've been able to sit in and the tables, I mean, it's it's been providence. I'm so grateful. Like, I find it a huge blessing. But I realize that it is part of the the payoff, if Mm -hmm. that's a word, of just being in the trenches for so So long long. without expecting anything in return, just trying to help these women. To the point where I get a phone call and somebody says, hey, you know, the CEO of Shea Moisture is having dinner and you and a couple of others, um, Kenyan, the influencers are invited so um, I'm sitting there like wow you know mm-hmm. and here with these global CEOs I'm able to ask them questions um, it's it's really been mind-blowing and also some of the companies now in the R&D side uh-huh. the Kenya Association of Manufacturers the the companies like Lubrizol these are like all brands that are under multinationals that sell the raw materials for cosmetics and, and hair care. Mm-hmm. The reason I get invited for some of these workshops is not because I'm a chemi- chemical <laughs> formulator, <laughs> but it's because somebody somewhere saw the nutritious Tricia's and like, yeah, that sounds kind of familiar. I think it's related to hair. Okay, anyway, let's let them in. Mm. So- so well, I'm, I'm really grateful because it has come back, those 10,000 hours. Yes. <laughs> and, but you, as you mentioned, there's so much tenacity is needed and so much advocacy mm. for our consumers. Because at the end of the day, companies are not mandated by law to mm. indicate every single ingredient that's in a given product. Mm. So a lot of companies will put the wool over the eyes of the consumers, where they feel like, oh, you know, they'll throw around terms like natural, organic, free from, but the actual product may contain a bunch of toxic ingredients, or if it has a good ingredient, an active ingredient, it's like a minuscule percentage where it really wouldn't make a difference. They call it like fairy dust. So Mm. a lot of consumers have been duped and they are spending money and the psychological toll because they start Having self-loathing, they see like you know maybe it's just my hair, yes. and they use terms like I have steel wool hair, mm. you know my hairline is in the uh, intensive care, the ICU. Oh, I have this sisal hair. There's so much self-hatred, mm. but really I feel that ultimately the consumer, and especially the consumer uh, of color, is is sometimes um, an unfortunate dupe, mm. uh, as in they're a victim of very clever marketing. that's that's agitated their problem or their perceived problem and made them feel like the solution is out of reach. Mm. So just in line with that, the the tables where I've sat, the research I've done, the brains I've picked, I I learned something. And it's something that this guy called Ty Lopez says. Mm -hmm. He says, if you're playing a game of poker, if within 10 minutes you can't figure out who's the sucker in the room 10 minutes into the game, then guess
0: what? You're the sucker. Why, Trisha, Why did you tell me that? Because I've been the I've been the sucker. I've been the sucker
1: too many times at this point. Yes, if you can't figure out who's the sucker, then mm. you're the sucker. And I'll quote also Ikal Angele, who's um in in Turkana, and she's an advocate for human rights and environmentalist, especially. Mm. And she says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Africans, uh, we have been on the menu for two long. Right.
0: Yeah, we have.
1: <laughs> We've been on the menu for too long. Mm. Yes. If we start, you know, making stuff for us, by us, mm-hmm. um, that that we know is not designed to harm the consumer, it's not designed to just get quick overnight results or a quick buck, then we will be able to compete internationally. Yeah. Now, of course, there are some international brands that are amazing, but the problem is, like you said, it's very hard for the end consumer to know what's actually good and what isn't, what's coming counterfeits and what's genuine. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's talk about R&D. What is R&D and how does R&D fit into your process?
1: So um, I'll simplify it. Basically, if um, someone off the streets decides that they want to create or manufacture a product that will be used, they need to hire somebody to do their R&D, that is research and development. So generally you would approach either a private label contract manufacturing firm a professional cosmetic formulator and you'd say, hey, I want to come up with this range. It needs to do A, B, C, D. These are the ingredients I want and this, these are the results that it must deliver. Mm-hmm. It does involve uh, a lot of testing, a lot of pilots, um, formulation, development, which is kind of like If you're making a cookbook, by the time you take a photo of a cake for page three, Mm. you've made like 75 cakes and out of them, maybe 40 ended up in the bin. So (laughs) so that's pretty much, you know, research and development. How did you
0: find your research and development partners? Who guided you? And then how long did the process take?
1: Actually... I jumped in very, very naively. <laughs> I thought, okay, let's make some products. And I asked around and I, I learned, I, I got the contacts of two professional formulators. I emailed both of them. And I just decided to work with the one who was first to respond. And he's the one who kind of took me by the scenic route because I said, okay, dude, I want to create products. I know nothing about this. so. I just want to outsource everything to you. Tell me how much your costs are. I'll give you the deposit and um, I'll create the brief. So there's a a product brief that you create for your formulators. It has all the, the details of what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, send me the samples when they're ready and tell me how much it will cost to manufacture. So this guy was like, well, okay, so here are the formulations, but I think you should know more about this. So he's the one who sent me south africa for training and yeah. i was like okay yeah this is very nice but i don't really need to know this stuff because you'll be doing all the formulating so when can we start anyway Dude got into politics, <laughs> so okay. he became very busy with his, with his warrant, with serving his voters. Okay. <laughs> and, and he left me holding the baby, he's like, there are the formulations and here are your samples, so you know, just mix them up. So I set about looking for more experts and, you know, we, we hired another formulator and she was great, but she was on her way out of the country, she was emigrating somewhere else. So she sent me formulations and a few samples. So again, I was left holding the baby because the R&D process takes a lot of testing. There are lots and lots of tests, you know, for the regulations, if it's CABs, there's consumer trials. You need someone to hold your hand. In the long run, I didn't find a partner to consistently hold my hand. So again, my skills as a journalist of learning how to learn came in pretty handy. Because when you have to write an article on something that you've never learned about, mm-hmm. you learn enough to become an expert yep. on that particular micro-subject so that when you write your article, whoever tries to tear holes in it, you're like, no, these are the citations and these are the quotes and this is the peer-reviewed research and these are the clinical studies. Exactly. So you, you become like a tiny micro-expert in that. Mm-hmm. So with my products, I found forums on the internet with a very eminent cosmetic scientists, and mm. so you could search there and you could see similar products and how they trouble, did the troubleshooting process and they substituted this and that and I, I just I was so blessed because I found all this information that not very many people know where to find mm. and that way I ended up making a lot of my products myself. Mm. It reached a point where now that I found uh, a fantastic private label manufacturer who released our miracle mask, deep conditioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just found them late last year and we found them at one of these cosmetic formulation um, seminars. And the guy is, he's like, my husband and I laugh about it cause he's like a mad scientist. He's mm. in the lab cooking up stuff and he's so passionate. <laughs> so I said, dude, you can make my product. I needed to do A, B, C, D and I wanted to have this and this and this. Mm. And he delivered over and above our expectations So finding partners like that has been a lifesaver, but the difficult, rough, bumpy road that it took to get there was also advantageous because it forced me to learn. So this kind of insider knowledge means that I'm very, very confident about the quality of what we're actually delivering to the consumer.
0: I love that you're so intimate with the product, like you know it so intimately well that even in the education aspect of it, you're able to also probably share why it should work in this way because you are there in the kitchen, really, or with the mad scientist in this case.
1: Yeah, in the lab. In the lab. I would honestly have preferred it if it had been cut and dry, where you just hire someone, give them the brief, pay them their money, and the products are on the shelves. But the circumstances did not lend them to that. The journey was much longer, but it's been phenomenal. I don't regret it one bit. It was time intensive. It was capital intensive. And, and as part of the research and development, I actually also did an internship at a hair salon. Mm. So every Monday I would go in and the two hairdressers who run the salon, they would teach me and I, I would have, you know, models who i work on and I learned how to cut, I learned how to color, how mm-hmm. to wash, how to do basic styling. And one thing I learned from the hairdressers or the hairstylists is the way you know whether a product delivers is literally hands in hair. There's a way the hair needs to feel as I put the conditioner through or as, or as I put the shampoo. There's the way the hair will react when you put this product on the hair, especially in conjunction with water. And you'll know that like, boom, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. But there are other products which... You'll test on the hair and it's not giving you that feel mm. in your hands that you need to feel. Mm. So that has helped a lot in, in the R&D process. In the lab being there in a practical way, but also in the salon doing people's hair.
0: When I then even think about your background and how you've worked so many different gigs and jobs, I also think it's also helped you because your ability to say, I will intern here. There's no space that feels like it's out of reach to you. Because there are many people who could say, oh, yes, I can do product, but actual hair is not my thing, and then dismiss it immediately because they don't know, which a lot of people do, by not knowing they dismiss themselves out of opportunities. You seem very okay with not starting from not knowing.
1: Yeah. I actually became comfortable with this whole for dummies label, <laughs> you know, the book series yeah, for dummies. Yeah. One of the jobs I worked was a sign language interpreter. Mm -hmm. And in that job, you have to be so adaptable. Today, the agency will say, you're working at the Department of Agriculture and you have to go and interpret a seminar on the hybrid locusts in Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. So you literally have like, I don't know, 20 minutes to prep, enough so that you can stand there And convey these ideas in a different language Mm -hmm. (laughs) without looking like a charlatan and i would be i would be called to interpret i.t classes um at like the local universities commencement ceremonies you know all kinds of random stuff and i had no background in these topics and you, you learn to just be very quick at getting just enough information to get by where you don't look like a complete idiot. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, that humility, it had to come, um, not not because of being a humble person, but because you got to eat. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so part of my profession was, you know, you go in there, you know nothing, but within a few minutes, you have to kind of know who to ask and mm. know a little bit of what's going on starting from zero and being okay with being a dummy um at 40 yes i just turned 40 and (laughs) i feel like i'm such a late bloomer because i'm learning so many skills from scratch and i'm thinking oh my goodness you know i wish i was 22 when i was learning this but i've learned to enjoy the process i love to learn i'm somebody who's a lifelong learner Mm -hmm. and i just I, i say okay this is a challenge i don't know how to do this but where do we start how do we get this skill or who can we ask? Um, I think that's that's been really good. And it reminds me of this book, The 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. I think it's by Robert Greene or something. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently the author or the protagonist is somebody who was meandering through life. Like he went to uni and he got his general degree. He didn't know what he wanted to do, but he had an idea that he wanted to write a book. But he wasn't a very good writer in his own opinion. So he got a job at some farm and then he got some random job, you know, in a cafe. And he went through like all these different random low paying um, jobs while he was trying to get his book out and he just had this writer's block, he couldn't get his book going. Long story short, when he finally wrote down his book, The 48 Laws of Power, it just flowed from him. Like, Mm. you know, you touch the keyboard and you look up and six weeks have passed and you have an 800-page manuscript and the book became a bestseller and in that book was all the micro lessons that formed these laws about human nature and about human interaction. He said that this means. Meandering, this late blooming was actually preparing him for his masterpiece. And I found his story so encouraging because as a late bloomer, I can say that, yeah, it may see, you may feel like you're just like wasting time and, you know, moving through aimlessly in your life, but it's actually preparing you for something amazing, something that's going to have a phenomenal impact.
0: And you're essentially running an e-commerce website. So, um, how do you, how are you getting your product into basically into people's hands now that the the line is is out?
1: It's been organic. We, we started with friends and family. We started with um, craft fairs, and then some of my trusted hairstylists who do my hair. They were like, "Oh, you know, how come your hair doesn't have buildup or whatever?" I said, "Oh, I use my clarifying shampoo." Okay, can we have a few? We can try it with our clients. So they became my distributors, Mm. and also people would refer one another through word of mouth. So I just started by selling on WhatsApp, which is what most Kenyans do, Mm -hmm. Kenyan hustlers, gotta love them. (laughs) And the shop, Dr. Trisha's Naturals, is run by a third party company called Mzizi. So this uh, portal is really amazing because I just upload my products and the stock. And they handle all the sales. So they just take a percentage at the end of the month, but they're kind of like Amazon Mm. because a lot of small businesses are hosted on Mzizi, even if they use their own name. And so the writer comes from Mzizi, picks the products from our warehouse and distributes them to the customers. So it's been really awesome.
0: And last year, you also put together an amazing natural hair care and beauty and health festival in Nairobi which is also part of the expansion of the Trisha's Naturals brand. What was the thinking behind putting together the festival?
1: It was again give the people what they want. Mm. <laughs> the women in our group over the years and months developed such close bonds. So in our group we have sixty seven thousand or 200,000 across social media and these women been watching each other as they share on their journey so they are each other's influencers and Mm. they wanted us to provide them with a forum that's more than just online more than facebook more than instagram they wanted to meet one another it was more just giving them what they wanted they wanted information we gave them they wanted community that's what we provided and they wanted Um, products or practical solutions. So that's what we are providing them now.
0: So can I ask how has the business been affected during the height of COVID and how you are managing?
1: Uh, Absolutely, all businesses have been affected um, negatively because, you know, Trisha's Naturals. one of our income streams was marketing from our partners. All of that got um, removed. Mm. It, It was completely shelved because, again, advertising budget Clemented, so that hit our bottom line. So COVID definitely hit in that our income streams narrowed. So we did have to pivot. We didn't have the cash in hand. This money that was to come, it didn't come. So we said, okay, um, let's just forget about that. But what assets do we have and what projects are we working on? How do we... Accelerate those products, Mm -hmm. I mean, those projects, so that we can launch as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, COVID presented us with an opportunity because all of a sudden, we didn't have the competition from all these big brands that have the marketing muscle and the events and the Mm -hmm. activations in the malls and the stores. Everybody was just online, just like we were. Mm -hmm. And that actually gave our team courage to not. Um, procrastinate any longer. You know, good enough is good enough. We brought this thing up to the point where it's 90%, 85%, let's launch. You know, because like with um, one of my favorite um, encouraging points is um, Bill Gates. You know, he launched Windows 95 back in 1994, 1995, but every week it has an update. So that means it wasn't perfect when he launched it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It keeps being updated. So I said, hey, you know, we're almost there. Let's just launch and we can perfect it as we go. COVID gave me that courage because I, I realized that, okay, there's a big opening. There's a big gap that's opened up and these women they're now having to do their hair at home. They can't just go to their stylist since mm-hmm. the salons are somewhat are closed down and everyone's afraid of corona. So what are they going to use when they're in their homes? I said, okay, let's get these things out and let's just start selling them.
0: In this journey that you've been through, and it is a journey, what's been the hardest part to learn for you? And then also what has come easily for you?
1: The hardest part to learn has been a lot of the technical stuff, okay. <laughs> that's that's been very hard. Um, you know, departments in larger companies that would handle things like procurement, mm-hmm. um, you know, raw material sourcing, buying the equipment, getting the packaging, um, deliveries, logistics, all of that. It's It's been tough, it's been tough. And the reason is one of the beautiful things about living in the third world is that, I use the term loosely, but in Kenya, People are very spontaneous, and systems are not as um, <laughs> systems are not as systematic as they are in other parts of the world. So it, it does create a bit of flexibility, which is good for a small business. But at the end of the day, there's so much uncertainty, and just learning how to maneuver and constantly keep recalibrating when this doesn't work out. That's not available. This is out of stock that is, um, you know, no longer, like, there's. there have been so many roadblocks mm. when it comes to something simple, inter- like just getting what you need to put your products together. So mm. the technical and logistical stuff that yeah. comes with the day-to-day running of the business has been the hardest.
0: What have you learned about yourself during this process?
1: I've learned that I'm much more resilient than I imagined. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm actually a highly sensitive person and I tend to be a little bit shy. I'm I'm an introverted extrovert. So I I love people, but I I take them in small doses. Mm -hmm. But with running this kind of business, (laughs) you have to be on, you have to show up as Mm -hmm. much as you can for your stakeholders, for your community, for your team, for your suppliers. So, that's, that's, that's been uh, interesting in that I've learned that I'm able to, to adapt in order to meet people where they are and solve their problems.
0: Uh, as I mentioned to you, I'm starting this new segment uh, called I Know What I'm Doing. And it's an opportunity for us to celebrate something because there's a a lot of this interview and podcast is about the space of not knowing and the vulnerability and the doubt around that. And I wanted a segment where we could talk about things that you're really sure about and that you're confident about and that you're really, 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 really good at. So. If I was to ask you, Trisha, what is one thing that you are excellent at doing or at being? How would you answer that question?
1: Can I mention two things? Yes, you can. <laughs> okay, one of them is teaching. I've learned that um, I'm a born teacher. I've actually done, you know, I've done my 10,000 hours actually of volunteer work as a teacher mm-hmm. outside of my various jobs that I did in my <laughs> multicolored career.
0: Yes. So um,
1: I love to teach. I love to see people's eyes light up when they get the concept. I love to inspire them and to actually see them apply the information that I'm teaching them and to watch their lives improve, to see their quality of life improve as I teach them. So I've learned that I am a, a very skilled teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, also having learned from many of my mentors. And the other thing is... Um, herbal medicine.
0: Mm, yes, you are very good at this. Please tell tell me more. No, I know this about you, but I want I want everyone to hear this expertise about you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just a skill I picked up out of necessity, and I didn't really think I was that good. Um, you know, most of us have self doubt until the other day. I was talking to my sister, and she just said as oh, a by the way that ah, oh, you know me and me and our other siblings we don't really worry about this corona because you know as we catch it we know that trisha's gonna just tell us what to take and you know she'll treat us and we'll be just fine so the fact that she just mentioned in passing like yeah we don't even fear corona because we know you've, you've got us sorted so that made me realize that oh okay well maybe my my other ten thousand hours have, have come to fruition because actually i learned I started learning about herbal medicine, and homeopathy, alternative health when I was in the States because I got sick. And, you know, America is a very expensive country to get sick in if you yes. don't have proper health insurance. Very true. So after one stint to the ER and having to pay that bill on my credit card for months, um, I a lady who um, is really into herbs, she took me under her wing and she said, look, you, you need to take this, take that because I have a preexisting condition. And she said, read this book. And then after I took the herbs she gave me, I was like, these are really good, I feel great. And she also gave me nutritional advice. Uh. So there I was, 2001 in Cincinnati, Ohio, in my little dorm, you know, mixing up all these herbs. and, (laughs) And, you know, honestly, since then, I've never really looked back and I've just grown my knowledge where my child also has a pre-existing condition, but she hasn't been to a hospital in more than 10 years, like since she was a toddler. Because we just learned how to fix them, fix these things at home. And we learned about, you know, proper nutrition and how to nip these things in the bud. So I realized that it's something I took for granted, but it's actually knowledge that can help a lot of people. And I am pretty good at that. So my second... Or is it my 15th act of going into um, health
0: coaching? You know, this this question always blows my mind because it always comes back to one of the first questions I, I ask in this interview, which is, did you know you always had an eye for business? And so in this case, you've mentioned teaching and Expertise basically, which are all things, Great. Trisha, that you do in your business today. <laughs> you were saying you know first of all the teaching of course the education aspect that has been Trisha's naturals for over a decade and then also when it comes to the herbs and that knowledge you you know you were talking about being in the lab and mixing things that was not your first time (laughs) in the lab obviously (laughs) obviously not you've been doing you've been doing this for a while we just need to connect the dots (laughs) completely Um, yeah I
1: didn't realize that
0: now, can you let everyone know where they can find Trisha's Naturals
1: online? So um, you, you all can find me at Trisha's Naturals. and on Instagram, uh, Facebook, at Trisha's Naturals. You can go directly to shop.trishasnaturals.com and feel free to follow me on Facebook or Instagram, Trisha Wanjala, and I reply all the DMs. So if you have any questions or if you need hair consultation, Please go ahead and hit me up. I am here to serve you just as I've been serving my community for all these years
0: amen trisha thank you for your time your energy always such a pleasure connecting with you and i will share all the information she shared in the show notes trisha thank you again and i look forward to seeing the brand and the product line and the festival and all the things trisha's naturals grow in the coming years as well
1: thank you so much paula for having me Isn't Trisha
0: fabulous? That was such a good interview. And not only does she have so much wisdom, Trisha is obviously also very generous. So she is giving away some Trisha's Naturals products. She's giving away a detox shampoo and the infamous Revival intense conditioning miracle mask. I don't know if if you've heard of her products, you've probably heard the buzz around the miracle mask. The mask is a deep penetrating moisture replenisher that will restore dry and damaged hair and locks and has really great ingredients like argan oil, vitamin E, and olive oil, which will really get your locks into formation. So the miracle mask retails for 1,250 Kenya shillings. And the, detox shampoo, which is really, really good for removing buildup. And it also really rejuvenates um, your hair texture. That is also part of the package. And it retails for 580 Kenyan shillings. So what do you need to do to potentially win this package, which is only available in Kenya, unfortunately. Anywhere in Kenya, we will deliver. You have to do three things, though. You have to sign up for the Trisha's Naturals newsletter. The link for that is in my show notes. So that's the first thing. Sign up for the newsletter. The second thing is that you have to join the I have no idea what I'm doing, African Women in Biz Facebook group. Yes, the podcast has its own Facebook group, and the link again is also in the show notes. Uh, and then after that, you need to personally send me screen grabs of you having done both the things I mentioned. So once you signed up for the newsletter as well as joined the Facebook group, you can send an email to info at kali.media. Again, that email is also in the show notes. Once you've done that, I will pick a winner and announce it next week's episode. How about that? And hopefully you can enjoy the products the way I've been enjoying them. So thank you so much, Trisha, for being generous with um, my audience. I really appreciate it. And again, thanks for listening, guys, this week. I really love connecting with you in this way and I look forward to talking next week. Have a good week.